Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by! So first of all, who's going to be the Republican nominee, presumably against Joe Biden at the start of 2023? This seemed like a very uh, up in the air question. You can see the trend line for the candidates. And remember, at the start of 23, Republicans were coming off a pretty rough midterm. Candidates who'd been closely aligned with Donald Trump had lost key races in 2022. At the start of 23, Ron DeSantis was running pretty close in the poll average to Donald Trump. And then look what happened. It just exploded here for Trump and went the other way for DeSantis. What happened right around here in the calendar. That was when the first indictment of Trump came down, the one from the Manhattan district attorney. It almost seems to have triggered a rally around Trump effect among Republicans. And that's just held all year through all the legal drama and everything else that's happened. And here we are at the end of the year. And in the average, Trump just, you know, lengths, open lengths ahead of Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley and Ramaswamy and Christy, too. All right. And welcome back to our second Friday edition of the State of Records podcast. This will be our last show of 2023. We made it, Noah. Dang. Who's obviously still here. I'm Roan. And that was MSNBC's Steve Kornacki, who was talking about how the indictments and, and when they started have kind of propelled Donald Trump, in addition to all the campaigning that he's done in between that, all the way up to a commanding lead in the GOP primary. And we're going to play a little 2024 GOP primary roundup right now. So, Noah, you, you see things kind of shaking out here. We're now 17 days away from the Iowa caucus. We're also uh, a little over a week away from that of the New Hampshire one as well. By the time those two primaries are over, I think Donald Trump's commanding lead and 2-0 record were kind of get him through the rest of the first five and heading into Super Tuesday. It doesn't look like anybody's ever going to catch him. No. And that wasn't really the case either. Not even on their tiptoes. But, but, you know, what do you think the way you've seen this kind of shake out? We've provided a lot of commentary on it throughout the year. I mean, we've seen how bad the DeSantis campaign has been in its entirety. Nikki Haley has kind of plummeted recently in, in the eyes of a lot with some of her commentary as well. Everything from, you know, Internet censorship and doxing to not understanding the context of what the Civil War was fought over, which we'll get to in, in just a second. But, you know, and, and Chris Christie, who was never going to be a contender, and then Vivek Ramaswamy, who for some may have been a breath of fresh air, but at the same time, when you look at the ticket and, and the fact that Donald Trump was going to be on the top of it, was never going to be a serious contender in this race. What do you think? I, I just worry about what their levels that they're going to stoop to when all this political warfare doesn't, doesn't pan out for them. It's going to be pretty wild. And, you know, for everyone that's uh, been tracking hard with, with President Trump and the stuff that they got going on, they do have a lot of major events coming up, caucus rallies in the great state of Iowa. Obviously, we will be providing full coverage on all of those. The 5th of January is the first one to start the new year. That's a Commit to Caucus event. It's a rally in Sioux Center, Iowa. And then on the 5th as well, same date, different city. That's going to be in Mason City, Iowa. They've got a Commit to Caucus event as well. We'll be out on the ground again the 6th. The next day, Commit to Caucus rally with President Trump in Newton, Iowa. And then again, same day, January 6th, different city, Clinton, Iowa, a Commit to Caucus event. The Trump campaign will be out on the road as well. We'll be providing all of the commentary on that as we see President Trump kind of sprinting to the finish here as we're getting ready to start the primary season just after the start of the new year. You know, there are some people that ran in the fake primary under Donald Trump. Obviously, we, we just touched on Nikki Haley. We don't like to as much because she's a complete moron. But, you know, 
she does it to herself. Obviously, she's a neocon. I had it written up in the show last week. You didn't really touch on it. A New York Post expose that just came out shows that after she was nearing bankruptcy and, and completely broke following her jobs as a South Carolina governor and then as the U.N. ambassador inside of the Trump administration, she joined the boards of a couple big lobby groups, you know, ones like Boeing and some of those in the military industrial complex as well. And now she's essentially a millionaire worth close to $20 million. And she recently bought a two point something million dollar home on the South Carolina coast. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Which is a, which is a house. The likes of none of us listening to the show will ever be able to sniff. There and might, there might be somebody listening. You never know. It just kind of shows that the grift is real. What if she's listening? I doubt she is. Nimrata. Oh, Nimrata. So she was at a town hall event this week. It's an unfortunate name. I would say 99% of the people in attendance were over the age of 75 as most people attending Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis's zero sum people broom closet politics events are. Mm -hmm. However, they usually try to find the one great grandchild that's attending the event with someone and then ask him a question. This one came up about the Civil War. Let's hear what she had to say. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? Wow. I'm sorry? He said, I'm not running for president. <laughs> I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. What do you want me to say about slavery? Next question. <laughs> Thanks for hitting all of those Halliburton talking points too, Nikki. I mean, slavery wasn't the only cause of the Civil War, but it was it was like if you're gonna bring out a talking point about the Civil War, that's number one. For all of our Civil War enthusiasts out there who know that another item that was probably at the top of the docket during the preamble to the Civil War was preservation of the Union and the Republic of the United States, the number one issue of the Civil War essentially was slavery. Yeah. That is the only answer. Yeah. <laughs> that is why you would say anything else. And anything anything less was just like, you know, an extra extraneous reason. Mm-hmm. It was pretty bad. And, and you know, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. She took to one of her favorite news outlets to go and cry on CNN the morning after and tried to essentially cover her own ass on the commentary she made at that town hall. Let's hear it. Or was about slavery. We know that. That's that's the easy part of it. Now we do. What I was saying was, what does it mean to us today? What it means to us today is about freedom. That's what that was all about. It was about individual freedom. It was about economic freedom. It was about individual rights. Our goal is to make sure it was about all the stuff my staffer told me to say now. But what's the lesson in all of that? 
what is the lesson in all that, Nikki, since there's not a snowball's chance in hell that our country ever will go back to slavery, you fucking complete moron. Yeah. It's absolutely disgusting to Not slavery, but we're definitely going back to segregation, apparently. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. You know, and it's it's like we said. Haley, internal campaign staffers, DeSantis, internal campaign staffers, in collaboration with the mainstream media, propped up this theory that Donald Trump was considering Nikki Haley to be his running mate in next year's general election. Like, people in Gaza have higher IQs than you. I'm sorry. Ooh. You know, this is this is like sub-60s IQ rhetoric. I don't know why anybody would promote it, continue to spout about it. This is almost as bad as, like, Steve Bannon talking about RFK Jr. and the, and the unity ticket with Donald Trump, which is definitely something he definitely said. And, and it's one of those things where people are just making news when there's not a lot of news. We've continued to try and find and source stories and bring on relevant guests who can talk about the things that are important to you here on Steak for Breakfast. But there are others just for the sake of it, and a lot of it is campaign-driven. But when, when some of these bigger speaker boxes go and run with this narrative, it just makes you look like a very sub-triple-digit IQ person. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It just is the way it is. Nikki Haley would segue from the segregation and slavery of the Civil War right into Ron DeSantis politics after that, parroting some of the narrative that we heard in our first edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast today where Ron DeSantis was crying that apparently the deep state is persecuting Donald Trump only to hurt his campaign. Let's hear. We know when they're there. We know what they're doing. Why is Biden doing that? Why isn't he doing it to any other candidate? It's because he knows I defeat him by double digits. It's also because they know they want to run against Trump. (laughs) They're trying to help Trump. They've tried to help Trump this whole time. I mean, whether it's the Colorado Supreme Court, whether it's the other court cases, whether it's the fact that they're now hitting me, why is it that they're doing this? See this for what it is. How does that make you feel, Noah? Uncomfortable? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and here's the thing. The media knows and has kind of decoupled and unhitched its wagons from Ron DeSantis. I mean, that is all self-induced as far as the DeSantis campaign goes. But here's the thing. Thinking that they were just going to be able to hitch their wagon to Nikki Haley and prop her up as a legitimate contender to Donald Trump. No one's even decided to hit her yet, except for like the things that we all know about. She's a corrupt career politician. She's a disgusting, dirty neocon. But no one's really gotten into like the there. I mean, Nikki Haley's had a bunch of affairs and cheated on her husband. She's made money in the most corrupt ways imaginable up in the D.C. swamp. And when you just look at a record of the policies that she's pushed for, everything from going to war with everyone and and not leaving anybody out in between to saying she's an anti-tax candidate and then dropping taxes on her constituents, I couldn't imagine somebody worse to, uh, you know, have Donald Trump welcome in as a running mate. And that's why anyone that thinks that that narrative is legitimate is just a complete fucking moron in my opinion. But, you know... In a, in, a, in a way to make sure that by the Iowa caucuses, Ron DeSantis is finished, finished, which he already is. The mainstream media, the print press, the lobby groups, and the special interests have all kind of gone all in on Nikki Haley as something that's not as beat up as Ron DeSantis. He is a wounded bird falling from the sky and a bruised little meatball at this point. <laughs> 
But when you have large entities and unlimited cash coming from places like the Koch brothers and, and things of that nature, it, it makes it a little bit easier to show a more presentable non-meatball in somebody like Nikki Haley. Fox News touched on this a little bit, talking about Koch bucks. Let's hear it. Looking ahead to this, the Koch Network is spending millions of dollars in Iowa trying to boost Nikki Haley. She's made more of a presence there. Will it work? Uh, money helps. It helps to hire staff to buy uh, TV ads, etc. cetera. Uh, what doesn't necessarily help is being known as the candidate beloved by mega donors, super PACs, et cetera. There so it is. that Coke money, I think it's it's helpful to her, but also does bring a downside for those voters who are a little uh, uh, wary of the kind of uh, institutional uh, donor class of the Rep- of the Republican Party. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We don't like the establishment candidates anymore. You know, there's a lot of people that's been out there virtue singling. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley have both done it as well. Chris Christie a little bit. I'm a Reagan Republican. Mm. You ever hear of Reagan Republicans, Noah? Yeah, I think so. It's been a while, though. Everybody loves Reagan Republicans. That's when the GOP was the grand old party. Here's the deal. Think that a grand old Opry? Yeah. Nobody's buying the shtick anymore. The We've had nearly eight years now to kind of identify and just absolutely blow out of the water anyone who comes pushing some garbage narrative that they're this, that, and the other thing. The GOP now belongs to the America First movement, whether people who run these groups that elect House candidates and senators and governors, all the way up to the establishment GOP and Ronna McDaniel want to accept or understand that. That's completely up to them, and it's their choice. Obviously, with the... $7 $7 million we have on hand at the RNC right now. It shows that it's not working out too good for Ronald McDaniel. It seems like a lot more people are donating to Donald Trump's campaign directly instead of into the larger apparatus mm. that doesn't serve shit in regards to winning elections. Secondly, you know, you, you have all of these people out here, the Koch brothers, etc., who are just going to pour money into Nikki Haley until the actual primary start. She's going to get absolutely curb stomped in Iowa. Then we're going to go to New Hampshire. And for as tight as they want to manufacture that race to be, I don't think it's going to be that close. I think Nikki Haley's probably around 12% there. They're saying she's around 30. I've asked Richard Barris, who seems to be an expert and one of the more accurate pollsters on this. And and he also believes a lot of those numbers are inflated and manufactured as well over the last couple weeks. What do you do once you get through Iowa and New Hampshire over the course of 10 days and Donald Trump is 2-0 after two blowout victories? First of all, no Republican nominee has ever won the first two primaries. Number two, no Republican nominee has ever won the first two primaries in the fashion that Donald Trump's about to win them by. That kind of defeats all of the purpose right there, and it sets Donald Trump to head into the back end of the first five and have enough delegates already before Super Tuesday to become the Republican nominee. That's when everyone and everything will stop with the commercials, stop with the attack ads, know that their candidate is no longer legitimate. The American people have spoken, and whether they like it or not, it's time to get on the Trump train. Now, whether or not that becomes everyone who is Bernie bros and Cruz crews and never Trumpers just decides to go off and and work at, you know, the Club for Growth and the Lincoln Project and produce anti-Trump, pro-Joe Biden material over the course of the next 10 months after that, that's completely on them. I think we're going to get a lot more people on this train than we've ever had before but we're going to let it play out in real time as, again, we're only 17 days away from the Iowa caucus. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, 
Reminder, this is our second all-new Friday edition of the Steak Breakfast Podcast. There was another episode of the show just previous to this one. It featured Corey Mills and Kingsley Wilson. Make sure you're subscribed to the show across every downloadable podcasting platform, especially on Apple or Spotify. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then find us on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. We're not going to forget about Meatball. And before we jump in for our end-of-the-year stay exclusive with former New York Congressman George Santos, we're going to hear from PBD and some commentary he had this week while doing one of his podcasts and talking about Meatball Ron DeSantis. Let's check it out. Guess what? Amongst the three of you, one of you has to be the leader. It can't be a 33-33-33. One has to be the shot caller. This doesn't mean you have to agree 100%. Someone needs to be the shot caller. Um, Someone, I believe was in DeSantis's ear so much saying you're better, you're better, you're better, you're better, you're better, so much feeding him that he fell for flattery, thinking he's the alpha. And I even asked him, I said, do you think, um, you know, without Trump's three tweets, when you barely won the first time as a governor by 34,000 votes, do you think you would have won without the tweet? In his book, he says, Trump helped me win the governorship. In the interview, he says, no, I would have still won. Can't say that. Nope. You can't say that because it's not true. Like, in your career, who's giving you your biggest break? I mean, Dana's definitely Dana, helped yeah. us a lot. Imagine if you say, without Dana, you know, we don't need Dana's help. What are you talking about? It's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, there's words for it that can be used. And I think it's more than arrogant. It's ungrateful. It's unattractive. What do you think about that, Noah? I mean... Patrick David Betts, a pretty big voice in podcasting right now. He gets so many of the biggest interviews. He was the one that presented Ron DeSantis with the gifts of boots that he wouldn't. Oh, it's a, <laughs> that's a solid move. But but that's a really good, you know, narrative that he is pushing right there that you can't have three candidates who are all equally the same, even though they were all equally presented as the same. And when you talk about Ron DeSantis, everybody knows what Donald Trump did to initially get him elected as everything. the governor of Florida, everything. But when you look at what happened in the second election, if you just say, like, I won that without Donald Trump, but not only that. You're an asshole. I didn't need him. Ooh. What does that say to any potential voters, especially ones who have supported the president through two full election cycles before that? You're full of shit. Yeah. There's just no, I mean, everybody talks about, oh, it's so weird to talk about loyalty and this, that. Why can't people live their lives? That's exactly why, because Ron DeSantis wouldn't have a political life without Donald Trump. If this dum-dum by some fucking weird multiverse bullshit where we're in the wrong one and Trump is removed from office, you know, somebody takes a shot at him, he's, you know, incapacitated in some way, and Ron DeSantis actually made it in as the president because he was the only person to vote for, Mm -hmm. it would be the most, like, lame way to win a presidency ever. And he would just still be this impotent fucking high-heel-wearing, nerdy, nasal douchebag and and that's really eye-opening that you say that just as you know less than four years ago we saw a nearly 80 year old man giving hitler type speeches from a podium with nobody attending except people sitting in jeeps honking the horn at him that was awkward yeah and 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 to think that this would be lamer it's very telling well lamer on on the aspect of while lame there would be things that were happening that needed to happen to save the country because at least his rhetoric and some of his platform stances while he's 
completely owned and paid for by the big uh, industrial complexes of the world, mm-hmm. there would Me- be some positive that came out of it, but it would still be lame. Meatball Inc. <laughs> Meatball Inc. Here's another thing people rarely talk about that I like to point out all the time. Ron DeSantis nearly did three full sessions of Congress in the House of Representatives before Donald Trump came to Capitol Hill, before he ran for the governor of Florida. The free state of Florida. And for all of these things, the DeSantis campaign likes to armchair quarterback now on how they viewed Donald Trump's first term in office. Let's just say some of the trades and tariffs, things for Social Security and Medicare, uh, geopolitically, from a neocon perspective, and even legislatively that Ron DeSantis supposedly doesn't ideologically line up with Donald Trump on anymore. Don't you think if Ron DeSantis really was one of those founders of the Freedom Caucus and was really America first, when Donald Trump got up to Capitol Hill and took the White House in 2016 and he saw people from the Cruise Crew and Chris Christie and Paul Ryan trying to get their claws in him, mm. a realer guy probably would have stopped him and said, hey, I've been here for a while. This is what I'm seeing. Maybe you should look out. It's because, not my first rodeo. Because in the free state of Florida, fuck off. Just fuck off. You did nothing. He had such potential just as just wait your turn. And now he'll always be the saddest meatball. Oh, my God. He, like... Literally, like you have one thing to to have as your legacy as a person in politics, and this is what it's going to be: high heel cowboy boots and what snot wipes, awkwardly eating hot dogs, and weird laughing. Don't forget egg on a stick. That's his biggest endorsement. Or the egg on a stick, yeah, well, not hot dogs, right? It was the egg on a stick? Yeah. Was oh, there, he, was the there way, hot dogs too? The way he ate pizza, dude. He ate like a, a, a. What did he eat? Pizza with a knife and fork or something weird? No, he he like shoved half the slice in his mouth and then talked with his mouth open, much like he did. Like he went to some restaurant in Iowa last week. He like ate half of a half of a sandwich in one bite. His cheek was like all the way out to here, like a chipmunk, and he just started talking. He had like beef hanging out of his mouth. He folded it in and just started talking. I'm like, who does that? Hungry people. Yeah, that's what Ozempic will do for you. But listen, we're not going to talk about sadness and we're not going to talk about hunger because right now we're going to get dialed in with our state exclusive interview. We're getting ready to jump in with none other than former New York Congressman George Santos. Before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.com. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Looking forward to this one right here, Noah. He's the former congressman who's now working to clean up Congress in a bipartisan manner. He's also doing a whole heck of a lot of other stuff. One of our favorites, Mr. George Santos. Welcome back to the show. Ron, thank you so much for having me back. It it feels so great to be back as not a member of Congress because now I feel I'm free. I don't have the shackles of Congress holding me back. Do you remember that scene in Aladdin? Genie, I wish to set you free. <laughs> I feel like some members of Congress probably wish you were still in Congress. Yeah, that's true. 
Oh, uh, I would say I would say very simply, uh, I think they regret setting me free because I don't think they really realized what they were going to get into. And we're going to get into that. But before we start, George, what have you been doing since you've left Congress right now? It's busy. We're just getting through the holiday season. We've got New Year's coming up in just a few days here. This is our last two shows of the season as well. And uh, we just want to check in and see what's been going on since you've left Capitol Hill. So, look, I left Capitol Hill, took two days to decompress and kind of let the fall in place. Uh, I think everyone saw what happened. I've now recorded over 1,200 cameos in just short of, what, 25 days on the platform, uh, having not even followed cameo that largely. And I, I'm, I've been blessed, man. I'm working on a documentary project. I'm working on a book project. I'm also working on some media angles that uh, I'm going to be writing columns uh, weekly for uh, Washington, D.C. So I'm looking forward to keeping and exposing the truth about Congress. Because I don't remember the last time a real grassroots activist was elected to Congress, like myself, and was able to see the sausage be made. And here I am. I, I did it. And now I want to tell everybody about it, all everything that's wrong and why we're getting absolutely screwed over by our representatives in Congress, because it's not about us, it's about them. So I've been keeping busy, but I did take some break uh, time off this Christmas. I spent Christmas with my family in uh, the mountains in Pennsylvania, as we do every year. And now I'm getting ready to go to Florida for New Year's. So, you know, taking some downtime to spend with my loved ones has been very important after a year of absolutely neglecting my family. So looking forward to all this, like, you know, family quality time. Oh, I'm sure everybody in your family appreciates that as well, especially your husband after the busy couple years you had heading up to Capitol Hill and everything that went on uh, while you were there. And that's the thing, George. You know, I want to kind of stick in that thread for a second. You, you say there's probably some people who are nervous that you're not on Capitol Hill anymore, but let's talk about the ones who are probably missing you. You know, your voting record, when you look at it on paper, was probably one of the most, if not the most conservative out there throughout the duration of time that you spent up on Capitol Hill. And, and, and a lot of the congressmen and women who you aligned yourself with were, you know, not only all the ones who were Trump endorsed and supported the 45th president in his quest to become the 47th, but... They were the ones who were out there fighting for the American people, pushing back on the speaker, you know, while that was going on back in January, and then all the legislation that would eventually get passed, things like H.R. 1 and H.R. 2, that would, you know, die in the Senate, but still showed that there was still some fight left in the dog. Now, that you've had a kind of a little bit of time pass to decompress and step away, are, are, you, are you kind of missing the fight right now, or do you feel like a new front is opening up and the fight may be just beginning? Oh no! Look, I'd be I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't miss it. I miss going to the floor. I miss I miss having my opinion heard, and I miss representing my people. Look, at the end of the day, look at what's going to happen. We have two Democrats essentially running for my seat now. Um, the Republicans the Republicans appointed uh, a registered Democrat, although she caucuses with Republicans, she's still a registered Democrat. And and I'm not. This isn't a ding at her. It's just how do you out the most conservative member? of the of the new york delegation and then essentially not even give the people a shot out of of somebody to at least match the conservative chops right um you know i I have nothing against the person they picked i just you know i'm just calling a spade a spade and then there's tom swazi now i had i had privilege access to a poll the other day that shows that uh swazi is trailing by nine points uh, and this is a man who's a juggernaut, political juggernaut for us. Right. Here. Now, if it's true or not, I don't know. I don't care. The reality is, is I, I do miss it. And I said this very clear. I'm not done. I'll be back. I'm 35 years old, Roan. 
most of those old old dogs over there are in their 50s and 60s and, and in some cases 70s um and i have a lot of time ahead of me i have a lot i have to deal with i'll be dealing with all of that but the reality is is i'll be back i will i will for always and forever be part of the MAGA movement. I have been with Donald Trump since 2015, and I have never even batted my eyes. I've had a second thought on whether or not I should be on Team Trump. So it's Team Trump all the way. So long as we're pushing the America First agenda and the MAGA movement, I don't care if it's 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I'll hold that flag and torch up high as high as I can. No, it's pretty interesting how, you know, the America First agenda has become a lot more bipartisan. When you look at it on paper, then you would think, uh, you know, as a, like an alt-right alternative that a lot of people in the mainstream media make it out to be. Being like the anti-war candidate and someone who's not establishment is just something that you don't normally see from a Republican technically ever. And, and you know, you get that with the America First movement here. Now, George, let's talk about some of the people who are maybe a little nervous that you're not up on Capitol Hill anymore. I mean, obviously you had a lot of great friends in the movement and a lot of the America first congressmen and women who, you know, supported you and you supported them throughout the time you're there, but there was a lot of detractors as well. People who kind of saw you as not serious or a gag gift, regardless of what your record were, they were voting with the special interests and lobbies while you were voting for your constituents in the district in the America first movement here. How should they maybe not sleep so soundly at night now that you're kind of unchained and out there looking to, I mean, I mean, you've mentioned a documentary, a book deal. You're obviously doing a lot of media spots as well. How should they sleep at night knowing that you're kind of unchained and out there now? Well, they shouldn't because I'm turning every single stone and the stuff that I'm uncovering and the, and the level of corruption, people like Nick LaLota, Anthony Disposito, Mike Lawler, Brandon Williams. I mean, I can go down the list. It's a drop list. Kevin Kiley out in California better watch his ass too because the stuff that I'm getting on him isn't really pretty either. So all these guys that play holier than thou and that they think they're above the fray, they're just as corrupt. Actually, I'll put it this way. They're the most corrupt. These are the same people who are willing to go out there and oust me, a duly elected member of Congress, without a conviction, with really, I haven't had my day in court, but... They all stay silent with the fact that we have an entire United States senator who was found with gold bars. It's the second time he's had a run-in with the law, had a hung jury before, and the man is still receiving classified information, classified briefings in the Foreign Affairs Committee. In, 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 in to the fact that some of the accusations against him pin him as a foreign asset and a foreign agent to Egypt. I mean, you can't make this shit up, but here's the deal. I will not stop until I expose the frauds that are Nick LaLota in, in NY1, Anthony Esposito, NY4, Mike Lawler, NY17, Brandon Williams, NY22, Nick Langworthy, NY25, if I'm wrong, or 24, whatever. The numbers are all fucked up upstate. They're all a bunch of frauds, and their frauds are out in public record. And people want to turn around and come after me, somebody who is fighting tooth and nail to defend myself. I have a right to defend myself. But no, we're going to expel me. Here's something beautiful that happened the other day. Look, behind closed doors, Republicans and Democrats, we talk. We're, we're collegial. There's nothing wrong with that. So there's a congressman from Florida. Him and I have conversations, uh, you know, here and there. Collegial, nothing. We're not friends, but we, we definitely chat. Uh, he was at a fundraiser down in Florida and ran into a bunch of my constituents. And they were giving him shit for expelling me. You know, so the reality is, that, and then he called me. He's like, oh, like, here, talk to your people. They're, they're pretty mad at me, and, and they love you. I'm like, oh, no shit. My constituents love me. They voted for me. 
I didn't I didn't win, and I'm sorry for cursing. Oh, no, <laughs> I didn't let it win. I didn't win an election by half a point. I won by eight and a half percentage points, which was a 16 point swing in a, in a Biden plus uh, eight seat. So just think about that, Roan. It wasn't like I just, I wasn't a fluke. I didn't ride Lee Zeldin's coattails. Unlike some guys who still have bloody hands for holding on too tight to the tail end of that coattail and got them through the finish line. They're all going to be one-termers. I refuse to do political spin anymore. Right, I'm going to just call call the BS how it is because the American people do not deserve to be politically spun into believing the garbage that people like Mike Lawler are trying to spin on them on national television. So I'll keep going. And let's not forget, sex gate is just the beginning. What you saw in that Senate was gross. But what's to come from that is going to be even worse. So just stay tuned. No, you know, you want to talk about that New York delegation of uh, congressmen who are supposedly Republicans, the ones that, as you mentioned, wrote on Lee Zeldin's coattails and then all accepted the Donald Trump endorsements when he laid them down in the last election cycle. They have been one of the biggest disappointments, turncoats and scumbags up there on Capitol Hill that I've ever seen. Not only just voting, you know, almost unilaterally with uh, Kevin McCarthy throughout the course of the time that he held the speaker gavel, but, you know, when it came to to votes that we needed in, in some close things that were going to help push America first and help put pressure on the Senate in regard to sending legislation up there, it seemed like all they did was just bail out as fast as possible. Mike Lawler, Anthony Gisposito are guaranteed votes to screw every conservative amendment we put forward throughout my time there. I saw time and time again conservative amendments tank in the House on key bills because simply put, Anthony Gisposito, Mike Lawler did not want to vote for those bills. I saw it with my own two eyes. You can look and you can look it up and see it. There are dozens of amendments and dozens of uh, of actions that we could have won, but they voted with Republicans with Democrats. They are almost a safe bet to always vote with Democrats on things that really are America first and MAGA focused. Yeah, it's just wild to see the way that's played out. I, I think a lot of them are going to be one term, if not the whole delegation, uh, Congressman. If you ask me, I'm kind of in, in agreement with you there. George, last thing I want to ask you, it's really important because, you know, you had mentioned a couple of things throughout the course of this that, that I think kind of tie it all together. First of all, your youth, you know, you're only 35 years old, but you do have a lot of experience now. You've ran in two major cycles. You were up on Capitol Hill for almost a full term, and now, you know, you're out in the world there, and you've got pretty much everything laid at your feet. But a lot of people want to know... Like, what part of the arc is this? Is this part of the redemption arc? Is this part of the villain arc? I mean, you mentioned, like, a scene from Aladdin. I've seen a lot of memes out there on the Internet that have, you know, you as, like, a Homelander-type character. There's even, like, references from some major accounts on X that call you the gay Joker. It's like, we don't know what George Santos we're going to get, but maybe you could give us a little insight onto what part of your story you're at right now. Look, the part of my story right now is the road to redemption. And I know people keep trying to say it's the villain arc. It's the gay joker or whatever. Look, I, I need to go out there and rehabilitate my reputation. And I'm going to do that by exposing the truth. The, the truth will set me free. I've said this many times. And there's, that's just the only way to do it. Right? And I don't care who it hurts. I don't care who it pisses off. I don't care at what cost it comes. But... That is my goal, is to go out there and speak the truth, because the truth will set me free. 
No, it's absolutely fantastic to hear. You know, it's one of those things, even if you want to kind of call it like an anti-villain role, we do think that there is a big redemption arc for you here coming in. I think you're going to pull back a lot of light on this curtain up on Congress that's been pulled back for the first time, I think, in a greater context than ever before. And I think you're going to be able to show with the receipts what's going on up there. And moving forward, be actively involved in making that just a better place to be and and, and helping out the America First movement in general. George, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. You know, you're always welcome here on the show. Uh, you've always been one of our favorite guests as well. I think our listenership really looks forward to when you can come and join us. We want to be able to direct everyone to follow you on social media and any way else they could help contribute to what you've got going on right now. So why don't you tell us where we could find you? Hey, you can catch me at Mr. Santos NY on X and then just George Santos on Instagram and, and threads. Those are really the platforms I'm on and obviously cameo, but that's, you know, <laughs> if you're into spending that kind of money, <laughs> but Look, I want to thank your listeners and, and your audience and you you guys for always having me, keeping me, uh, keeping the space available to me. I did it as a member of Congress. I did it as a candidate, and I will continue to do it now. And I appreciate you guys and everything you do. And if you're not listening to Steak for Breakfast, you are not listening to the truth. Thank you so much for having me back, guys. No, George, we really appreciate it. This is the former congressman from New York who's doing a lot more for the America First movement and making some pretty fire cameos at the same time. Mr. George Santos, thanks for joining us today. Have a great weekend and a very happy new year. Happy new year, guys. Take care. What happens in 7 October? They've totally misread the situation, and it puts all of our young men and women at risk. They know they're basically targets sitting on the ground. We haven't responded in a way that should be disproportional in making those hard calls. Kaylee, you and I have sat side by side in the Situation Room when a lot of those hard decisions were made. We know how hard they are, but Not you have to make call. them. Donald Trump made them. He was very effective at it, and then we need to do that again. General Kellogg. Jumping back into the news portion of the show, Noah, what do you think? That was a pretty great state exclusive with George Santos. I like that guy. I want to hang out with him. Yeah, and, and we definitely will someday. The guy's uh, got a long road ahead of him, but uh, I think he's like right in the middle of the end of the first couple chapters and a long story yet to write as well. Um, he's probably in the middle of uh, changing the ACH payments for his OnlyFans too. There you go. <laughs> Listen, for what that guy might have been an acquired taste to some as far as Congress goes, we've taken you pretty much the entire gambit here on George Santos, all the way back from his candidacy, his his initial time in office up on Capitol Hill, when he left after he was kind of removed this year without kind, his kind of removed without his due process and, and, and where he is now in post congressional life, which he still insists to this day. And I am a huge fan of the idea of the fact that he's not done in politics. We'll have to see where that goes. Well, hell hath no fury than a Santos scorned. I like it. And I, and I think so will Vish Burrow, who's going to be joining us on the back end of the show here in our last segment of the 2023 year. Pretty exciting. It was also interesting hearing Fox News commentator, retired Army General, Keith Kellogg, talking about how great things were geopolitically and our global footing was in the world under the Trump administration, uh, which differs much now under Joe Biden and all of the puppet masters who are constantly controlling him. Listen, I saw last night, Air raid sirens in the capital of Ukraine. Hmm. I saw also a lot of videos this week. Was there a president visiting? <laughs> in the last city that Colonel McGregor still alludes to that Russia needs to claim before their special operation is over, and that's Odessa. You have 
men in their 40s and 50s getting ripped off the streets and pulled away from their families and taken to the front lines. You know, the air raid siren thing might just be Zelensky's alarm clock. No, it was it, it was confirmed last night that there were some targets hit in, yeah. in Kiev. And, uh, you know, when you just look at the totality of the situation, it is Ukraine. Joe Biden just cut a new $220 million check for Zelensky uh, the day after Christmas. You know, like when you have like a piece of shit car and like, you know, the head gaskets are blown. Like you got the chocolate milk oil. There's smoke coming out. It's barely running. It only it only run for like five or six seconds. You don't tow it to the fucking gas station and fill the fucking tank up. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. It's a lost cause. They can go fuck off. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild what's going on there. And, and it was just announced today. It's money laundering. It's still they're just like ah, you know what. This isn't really believable anymore, but, you know, we got another year in office, so let's pad our pockets some more. Let's raid the slush fund. Yeah, I think uh, some of those people that are getting that money are crossing the border with suitcases full of cash again or buying fucking Hunter Biden's art. These things are all true. Vladimir Putin's cabinet today announced that they have a five-year plan, ready, willing, and able to sustain the current operation they have in Ukraine. As long as we pay for it? Well, as long as Vladimir Zelensky doesn't want to redefine what his historical boundaries are in the easternmost portions of the state and and the military operation, which at this point is now Ukraine just hurtling long-range coalition weapons into Russian-held positions on the Ukraine border. I know we have talked about the lines that have been drawn, and I would just like to say that I've taken the pen on the map and I have the, drawn the new lines, and there's there are bigger lines than before. There are quietly a lot of <laughs> world leaders who are putting out through their press offices that they are talking about figuring out ways not to call it a surrender after the first of the new year. Okay, just <laughs> let me have my house, and then you just Ukraine will be just my house. There you go. <laughs> so this is just like a little sidebar here, but I saw this week out on social media. So there's some somebody put up a post. 11th grade history books in Russia <laughs> show <No>. that <laughs> Donald Trump lost the 2020 presidential election as a result of obvious electoral fraud by the Democrat Party. They have a nice, handsome, no lies detected, smiling picture of Donald Trump in the book. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what happened. However, on the very next page... <laughs> They, ma- they won the war in Ukraine. Amassed Joe Biden from the same Russian textbook. His entire political career has been accompanied by corruption scandals. And he and his family have commercial interests in the country of Ukraine. Damn, boy! <laughs> and they put a picture of Joe Biden with a mask on. In wow. The book. Just way to exude weakness. Uh, I thought it was funny. Um, Don- Donald Trump sat down with John Solomon this week, and they did a little Trump exclusive over the phone. They were talking about a bunch of these issues. Obviously, one of the ones up towards the front of this segment right now, which we're in talking about. It was a quiet week on the physical campaign trail for Donald Trump, but he still had a pretty big week as far as, you know, getting those policy points out there and obviously all the stuff that's going on in court. Um, Donald Trump always wants everybody to pay their fair share. He alluded to that in Ukraine. Let's check it out. The subject why is it that we're in for $200 billion and they're in for probably $20 billion? That's probably the number. And it was the same thing when I got there. NATO 
was we were in for massive amounts of money, and they were like Germany, spent very little money. They were right. uh, spending less than 50%, less than half of what they were supposed to be spending. Other countries, likewise, they weren't paid up. And I said, if you don't pay up, then we're not going to defend you. And once they believed that, which they did after a short period of time, hundreds of billions of dollars came pouring into NATO. It was amazing. It was a beautiful thing to see. And <laughs> Stoltenberg, the uh, Secretary General of NATO, is a good man. I wonder right. if he feels the same way But about <laughs> what I'm going to say. He said... President Trump was amazing. All of these presidents came. They made a speech and they left. He came. He told them you have to pay up, and they all paid. And hundreds of billions of dollars now came in. So, I mean, it's, a, it's just an amazing, it's a beautiful thing to see. Now, if you take a look, in so many other ways, that's, that's what's happening. Why isn't, John, why isn't, uh, why aren't these countries going uh, dollar for dollar with us? Right. Obviously, it's got to be more important. They're right there. We're not. We have an ocean separating us. Why is it that they're in for a tiny fraction of what we are in terms of payment to, uh, you know, in terms of payment right. with regard? He makes a lot of sense there, mm -hmm. you know, talking about paying their fair share. And it was something that obviously everybody pushed back on at the start of the Trump administration. But by the time he left office, people were reluctantly doing it in a more normalized fashion and couldn't wait to stop doing it as soon as Joe Biden took over and let the entire world collapse underneath the footing of his, I'm there quoting now, win back in 2020. Win. Donald Trump would also segue there and touch on something that we've hit throughout the course of our show today. That's what's going on with Iran. Again, I think Congressman Corey Mills kind of laid it out there very appropriately. Not only did Donald Trump take care of Soleimani, but his top deputy in that Iraqi tarmac airstrike back in 2018, which eliminated the man who was running the ground operations of the proxy war in Iraq for the Iranian regime. Donald Trump touched on basically how Joe Biden is letting Iran run out of control, both monetarily and military now. Let's check it out. Biden is trying to play both sides, and he's failing, I think, unless people are stupid, he's failing, because what he did is took all the sanctions off Iran, yep. and Iran's gained hundreds of billions of dollars of wealth, yeah. and you don't want Iran to have a nuclear weapon, and they're 30 days from getting one. They say 31, 32 days away from mm. getting having nuclear capability. You don't want, you know, when I terminated the nuclear deal, that was a great thing. The problem was the administration did nothing with the termination. Right. I would have had a deal with Iran within two weeks after the election, had the election been different, had the outcome been different. I would have had a deal with Iran within two weeks after that election. We would have had a deal because Iran was, they were needing a deal. They had no money. They were, they were, they couldn't fund themselves, let alone terror. We would have had a deal. But now they're rich again. They're really rich again. And they're selling oil to China as their number one customer. Mm -hmm. Millions and millions of bar <laughs> barrels of oil. And they were selling almost nothing with me. And Iran was allowed to get rich because Joe Biden allowed them to. So he can say whatever he wants, but he's the reason for this. He's an incompetent president. He's a compromised president, totally compromised, but he allowed them to get rich. Now they're rich, and it's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to have, but worse than being rich because of the money, because of what they have, they will have within a short period of time nuclear weapons. 
And I'm going to leave it there. Noah, I have a question for you. This is just completely opinionative, and I'm not making fun of President Trump or or, or anybody else that has campaigned on it or kind of tried to bring awareness to it. Is when people say Iran is 30 days or less away from developing nuclear capabilities, are they talking, what do you think, in the way of like... It's like an Amazon delivery. Well, is it like the doomsday clock? You know, like we're that close to midnight, but in, in actuality, like many things have to happen in between that time for it to really be doomsday. Do, do you think it's like a figure of speech or do you think it's physically literal? Because I mean, you know, Donald Trump's been out of office for almost three years now. And I know it took time to see the results of those sanctions that Joe Biden removed turn into dollars and cents for Iran. But you know, we're, we're on the back end of the third year now where they're going to have over $70 billion brought in just based off of their oil exports. That's not including all the money the Biden administration's been giving them, what they've gotten back in foreign aid from the United States, et cetera. Do you think it's a figure of speech or do you think it's more in the literal sense? I mean, it would have to be depending on what sort of intelligence they have. I mean, I don't know how looped in Trump is still with that kind of... Uh, he does get the intel briefs. I'm sure he does, but I mean, how is, you- is it just like... Given the information that we have, this is the potential outcome. I feel like it's more of that. Yeah, I, I think so as well. It's not like the your Amazon delivery is five stops away. And it comes three hours later. That's <laughs> eh, pretty accurate usually. I'll allow it. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whatever platform it's on, remember this is our all-new second episode of the show. We did have another one previous to this, but make sure you're downloading us across every podcasting platform, especially Apple and Spotify. We're also on Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Find our accounts, hit the plus button, hit the follow button. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow us. Be sure you hit the notification bell. Then everything that we put out regarding Steak for Breakfast will be delivered directly to you in the form of a notification. And we really appreciate that, guys. Remember, the show will always be 100% free. We'll never have a give, send, go. We'll never be selling merch. All we want you to do is officially follow the show and make sure it's downloading. So we really appreciate your listenership and all the great things we're looking to do into the new year. Last clip I got of President Trump, and we're getting pretty close here to jumping in with uh, one of MAGA's mightiest warriors, Vish Burra. Is he kind of put to bed the whole Nikki Haley for VP thing? I kind of wanted to touch on it with our guests today and then do a little bit in the GOP primary roundup before we got to Donald Trump giving his first official-ish statement on it while he was talking with John Solomon the other day on Real America's Voice. Let's check it out. This is bored because you're so far in the lead. They were suggesting you might be considering uh, Nikki Haley as a vice president. I want you to t- answer that. What are you considering her? And second of all, what do you want the American people to know about her record on the border, on taxes, on spending, and on entitlements? Well, Nikki, I know very well. And I actually got along with her very well, and she wasn't going to run. She said I was a great president, and she would not run as long as I ran. And, you know, that's famous. That's documented with her statements. It's on about 15 tapes and, you know, broadcast all over the place. And then one day she decided to run. So, you know, I I thought that was somewhat disloyal. Not nearly as disloyal as Ron DeSanctimonious, who I got elected. Got him. And uh, (laughs) then he, you know, ran. So that was, and he looks, he's crashed and burned. And, uh, you know, she's way behind. She's like 50, 60 points behind me. But if she goes up one point, they say she surges. You know, in the last fall, I went up seven points, uh, almost 70. 
which is hard because I have very little points to go up. You know, it's, they've been used, right? They've been taken yeah. already. But I went up seven points. She went up three points, and he went down a couple of points. But because she went up three points and he went down, they said she surged, that Nikki Haley surged. But she didn't surge against me. She surged against uh, Ron. But the point is that, look, I know her very well. I actually got along with her very well. As you know, she left at a nice ceremony at the White House, you know, the Oval <laughs> Office. It was very nice. Right. She said terrific things about me. She said he's a great president. And then she decided out of nowhere to run. So I was a little bit surprised at that, but that's a politician. Uh, no, I'm not considering anybody at this time, Jen. Look, I want to win. And one thing I will say, and I've watched this for a long time, the vice president has virtually no impact. You could go back all throughout history. Whoever the choice of vice president is has virtually no impact as to who is uh, going to get a nomination or get elected. It's an amazing. What do you think about that, Noah? Mm. Laughs in HD winning. See, Donald Trump kind of alludes to one of the points that we've made on the show. It's also one of the ones that no one else has talked about as well, Noah. That Donald Trump shouldn't be solely responsible for picking the successor, not only to him, but to the America First movement. Because here's the deal. Regardless of what Donald Trump does in his next turn and whoever he kind of taps to maybe be the successor after he's gone, history is going to do one of two things. They're going to either completely disenfranchise the fact that Donald Trump made the selection if the establishment feels like the pick he made is suitable, or if that person that he picks has a Trump-like first term in office for, let's just say, one or two terms moving forward, they'll say he was literally the reincarnate of Hitler. Doesn't matter if it's Christy Nome or Tulsi Gabbard or Tucker Carlson or Ben Carson. You know, it's it's one of those things where you just have to look at it. There's so much more to lose by trying to pick a successor here where I think they should be kind of like a product of the movement. See who rises to the top. See who Donald Trump's real supporters are and who does the most in the next administration that could kind of get them into the candidacy for maybe moving forward as the potential heir to the throne or someone who carries on the mantle after Donald Trump is done in politics. But I don't necessarily think it's his 100% job to say, like, I am Donald Trump. You all know what I did. I was your leader, and now I am king-making this person. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got one more term. That's it. So it has to be somebody. He's not just going to pick willy-nilly, and he's not going to be responsible for picking, but it's going to have to be somebody that we think is going to be a potential for the next, the next uh, administration. Yeah, the next decade after that. Yeah. I saw, um, before we get into our last audio clip, there was uh, Norm Eisen, who was a special assistant to President Obama, much in the same context like Cash Patel was to Donald Trump. He put out a op-ed this week, and this guy was also connected to the wiretapping at Trump Towers, Jack Smith witch hunts. Mm, plural. Yeah. And uh, everything else that Barack Obama did in between the time Donald Trump took office up until today. Drone strikes? You, you ready for this op-ed he put out in the, in the failed New York Times? Yeah, let's do it. Here's the title. A Trump conviction could cost him enough voters to tip the election. What? Titillating, right? Titties. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous what these people are doing. You know, they're normalizing, saying that assassinations against Donald Trump would be an okay thing, what life after that would look like mm. in politics, and now... They're saying that, you know, they hope he goes into the gulag and in the deepest, darkest dungeon 
that the CIA could provide for the entirety of the rest of his life. Case in point, and segueing away from that, some of our great friends in America First aren't so sold on the fact that Sleepy Joe, Crooked Joe Biden is going to be the nominee for the Democrat Party. We've, we've floated out a lot of alternatives here. One that we've kind of always stuck on is uh, Hillary Clinton and Gavin Newsom in some context. Gross. I think that they're much more stronger together than people like Governor Whitmer and people within the Democrat Party like Pocahontas. Did I tell you that I, I have a friend who lives up in San Francisco and they posted on one of their social medias that blah, 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 something, something, hopefully we can get Gavin Newsom? Like, really? You said this as a friend? Yeah, I mean, I got a lot of stragglers from, you know, the music community. I get it. But, like, I read that and you know, I don't generally go after people, and I didn't, but I wanted to be like, read that again. And then come back and talk to me about, you know, what's going on in your city. I mean, if you're a staunch Democrat and you just look at... Everything's fine. Well, face value, you're window shopping. And you've got, like, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you know, um, Amy Klobuchar. I mean, I guess if you can't can't pick the person who's actually going to save the country, you might as well pick the guy that's going to continue to run your fucking state into the ground. Make sure he finishes it, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of people that don't necessarily think that Joe Biden might make it to the finish line, figuratively, of course, Yeesh. is former congressman, current Trump Media Group CEO and CEO of True Social, Devin Nunes, who we'll be having on the show just after the first of the new year as well. He was on OAN last night talking about it. And as our last audio clip of the year, mm. let's hear what our great friend Devin Nunes had to say on Joe Biden's candidacy moving forward what, what i've said is that i just think it's highly unlikely biden's going to be the nominee now you know this because you're in washington john and i and i've from my experience there team obama is the one that's been running the biden white house yep and i think that the giveaway here is the night before biden uh runs Susan Rice, who was the domestic policy advisor, one of Obama's top lieutenants, she was running the White House. She exits stage left in the middle of the night. She's gone. So that tells me that clearly she was not on board for another Biden administration. I think what they were trying to do, cut a deal for the kid with that phony gun charge that they tried to do in Delaware, go to Biden and say, look, we got your kid off. It's time for you to get the hell out. He didn't. And I think that's the problem here. Obama can't control Biden and Biden's wife. Because at the end of the day, Biden controls that important title, the presidency. So he's got a very small circle within the White House, and the walls are closing in uh, around. That's an interesting take there. You know, we've talked about how they were going to try and push Joe Biden out last year, and he just didn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things to where, like, he listened to everybody until he got the White House, and then he's turned into a big, old, crotchety, salty asshole. Well, I'm the president of the United States now, so you have to listen to me. No. Yeah, and it just seems like, you know, they've run into that situation right there. I think that Susan Rice running her national disinfo campaign right now in regards to a lot of the things stemming from that Time News article we saw back in 2020 and how, uh, you know, democracy stopped Donald Trump from being the whatever. Mm-hmm is a lot of what they're going to be doing moving forward here. But again, when you talk about candidacy and candidacy quality, uh, that circle in the White House, they proprieted a small. We all know one of Noah's favorites is the new chief of staff for Joe Biden. That's Jeff Zients. 
Zines! And of course, Kill Dog is back in the game. And like we said, even though they might not uh, be seeing eye to eye as much as possible, Barack Obama has been activated for Joe Biden, seeing him both publicly in a commercial hyping up Obamacare and where it goes from here, moving forward and into the general election cycle of next year. Plus, Wait, uh, we're, we're still trying to say Obamacare is a good thing? Well, we, we're going to do MAGA-care. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, and then moving forward, you had Barack Obama give uh, a Christmas message in lieu of Joe Biden this year while he was sunning his balls down in St. Croix with Hunter Biden. Oh, uh, well. Uh, Joe's Joe's not here tonight. Uh, he's down there. Uh, you you know when you 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 go to the locker room at the gym. Oh God! <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Because this really stuck in my mind. All do you the ever way from, do you ever see the bottle of Captain Morgan from last show? <laughs> when I played the Barack Obama Christmas commercial, just because it sounded so much like your impersonation, is that why you started laughing? <laughs> yes, I fucking knew it. <laughs> Guys, it's been an absolutely fantastic year here on Steak for Breakfast. We've seen the show grow in so many different ways, both in the way it's presented to you. Started off as one maybe every 10 days. Now we're doing four a week, much to Noah's dismay sometimes. <clears throat> you do have a good time when we're here. We didn't even get a full garrison on the last episode of the show today either. <clears throat> but here's the thing. We really appreciate your guys' listenership. We hope that you guys are on the back end of a fantastic Christmas season and heading into the new year. Remember, things are going to get rough. We have... Seen so much shit over the last eight years now, you still are not prepared what we're going to see between January 1 and Election Day in November of next Oof. year. Keep your powder dry, boys. That's the only advice we could give you here on the show. Right now, we're getting ready to jump in with Vishbara, but before we do that, one last check-in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow. For over 20 years and for the first time in 20 years they've changed the long-standing my pillow and now have the my pillow version 2.0 you enter promo code stake at checkout you're going to get buy one get one free in addition to that they've got great savings on all things like my pillow dog beds the air lindell version one and two my slippers and giza dream everything if you're more of a morning person they've launched my coffee it's available in the bean the bag and the pod when you enter promo code stake here you're going to get 25 percent off your order or 50 percent off when you make it a monthly subscription MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next here on this Big Friday edition, last edition of 2023 of Steak for Breakfast. He has done a lot of work up on Capitol Hill. He's also known as one of MAGA's finest fixers and one of our great friends, Mr. Vish Burra. Welcome back to the show. Rome, guys, how are you doing? Good to see you. Good to be back. Uh, I know it's been a while, but uh, you know me. When I when I come back, I come back with the heat, and I come back with excitement and enthusiasm to one of my favorite shows to uh, listen to and uh, uh, be a guest on. So thanks for having me back. I know it's been a while. Oh no, it's always a pleasure, and uh, you know we're glad anytime you could take some of your valuable time and cut it out for us. It, it only, uh, you know, is a little treat to our listenership, especially during this holiday season. So Vish, you've kind of finished a whirlwind year up on Capitol Hill recently. We know that you're still uh, doing some stuff, but as far as uh, working in the office of Congressman George Santos, who joined us earlier in the show today, uh, you know, you're going to be uh, moving on to a bunch of different things. 
always active in the MAGA movement as well. I think the one big question that our listenership has after seeing you with the congressman for so long and so many iconic pictures, especially in places like the New York Post for the last couple of years, they've done you guys some justice, is what is next for MAGA's finest fixer right now? So, look, uh, I'm, I'm definitely entertaining a couple of opportunities. There's an opportunity I'm looking at, you know, back on the Hill. There's an opportunity I'm looking at in terms of media. There's an opportunity I'm looking at uh, in terms of uh, cultural space, perhaps uh, movies or something like that. So there's a, there's a, a few things I'm looking at. And, um, you know, once we get on the other side of the new year, I'll have a better uh, picture of what exactly I will be doing. And I'm sure whatever it is that all your listenership and, and, and the world out there will know uh, exactly what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, stay tuned for that. You know, I always, uh, I always try to, um, do what's important, what's salient, what's right. Uh, but you know, I think that, you know, a lot of conversations I've been listening to a lot of interviews, like the Colby Covington interview the other day on Tucker, I I was meeting up with a old school New York GOP friend yesterday that I hadn't met in a while. Who's, uh, you know, very old school, but you know, still, a still a pit bull and definitely not a rhino. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of people, and this is, this is a sentiment I felt myself. A lot of people are wondering like, what does 2024 have in store for us? Right. Four years ago, December, um, I was, uh, 10 days in, you know, around this date, I was about 10 to 18 days into working at the war room with Steve. Right. And we were just getting whispers, of something called the coronavirus tearing through China, right? And, and you know, three weeks after that, we launched War Room Pandemic. And so, you know, do you think that when I even took the job on, say, December 10th, 2019, um, that I would even know that I was walking into a global lockdown and this global pandemic? No, right? None of that. No, there was no way I could have predicted such a massive black swan event. And so I think that 2024, uh, even though we can't predict what the black swan is, what I think we can be safe to assume is that some kind of black swan event is going to take place. And I think a lot of normal people, I think a lot of smart people, I think a lot of, you know, everybody has this weird feeling that, you know, our elites are so cynical that they'll unleash something upon us, you know, to to uh, manipulate and try to fix and rig uh, the 2024 elections. And so, you know, I don't know what that thing is. I've heard crazy things like cyber attack. I've heard crazy things like martial law. I don't know if they would do another pandemic. That's so 2020. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I think that, you know, I think that there is something that will likely come And the only real good way to prepare for that is to kind of know who's on your side, what you got, and and wherever that fight is, like, be ready for it. Don't let it consume you the way the pandemic did because, you know, I think the pandemic caught the world off guard and nobody was really ready or willing to accept what that meant and what that future was going to be if we just let, you know, our governments and um, our states uh, run roughshod all over our rights. And so, you know, I don't think uh, if, you know, I don't think that if if, if it happens again, um, I don't think that people will be as caught 
off guard and are going to be more ready to make sure that whatever solutions are uh, sought, they're going to be uh, beneficial to the American people and the and the global population. And so um, we need to do whatever the big fight it wherever the big fight pops up, we need to fight it because no matter what, it's going to be about November 2024. Whatever that thing is, it's going to everything is going to be about November 2024 and electing President Donald J. Trump again as the 47th president of the United States. And the elites will do anything to stop that. Anything, right? Again, global pandemic four years ago, we end up walking into. What are they going to do this time? I don't know. But I do know who's on my side, and it's guys like you, it's guys like Raheem, it's guys like Bannon, it's guys like Gavin, Gates, Queen Santos, right? <laughs> like our, you know, our greatest fighters um, are going to be all in, you know, in this cycle, and you need to be too. No, it's the truth, you know, and you touched on a couple of things. I mean, we started looking at this Black Swan event. We've, we've been hearing it more and more. You've heard people like Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson start talking about it more frequently. Obviously, Alex Jones has been talking about it for the last 30 years. But even some mainstream reporters like Catherine Heritage, you know, she mentioned it last week on a CBS News report. I thought it was interesting that they're kind of even conditioning the boomer audiences to be ready for something heading into this election cycle. When you see all the lawfare that's been waged against Donald Trump, now we have the, you know, stuff going on with the ballots that's obviously going to fail at the Supreme Court. But again, it, it conditions the, the listenership and the people that are watching these programs to think it disenfranchises the candidate. And, and you know, it, it hurts them in some context of people. It's, it's the analogy that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube uh people are going to ask why and if they're continually fed more disinformation on you know why donald trump was removed from ballots in places like colorado and maine even if the supreme court votes to keep him on there which we all assume they will you know there's still people who are just going to it's the same people who think that donald trump essentially is still a russian asset all the way back from 2015 so it's one of those things that i could definitely see them setting some things up I'm in the kind of uh, agreement with you there that I can't see it materializing all the way yet. But again, we're about to hit the new year and then we're going to only have just under 11 months to uh, for them to get their shit together. So we'll have to see where it goes from there. Fish, you also mentioned like some of the fighters in this uh, battle that we're in right now. You know, you've been up on Capitol Hill for a long time. You had the opportunity to work with some of the absolute finest in America first up there. Obviously, Matt Gates. you worked with him exclusively, but you mentioned George Santos as well. There's some others in the Gates 8 who frequent our show all the time. You know, Matt Rosendale, Tim Burkett, Eli Crane, Corey Mills, the ones who have really kind of uh, had a star-studded year up on, on Capitol Hill. And it, that's saying a lot because it's been a pretty shitty year for House Republicans, even with the majority there as well. How important is it in addition to Donald Trump winning the White House next year, that we identify these people who are running in these House races right now, vacant seats like McCarthy's, Kagan's down in Florida. You've got some big races in Pennsylvania and Ohio as well. To add to that Gates 8 or or the 20 who you know held up Speaker McCarthy in the beginning, just because when you look at legislatively, the agenda that Donald Trump wants to pass, Agenda 47, is just about as robust as possible. But if they don't have the numbers in the House to send this up to the Senate, which is an extremely favorable map for Republicans at this point, it's kind of like giving Donald Trump one strike when he wins back the White House already because it's going to be a battle in the House if you don't get the numbers in there. It's always been important to make sure that, you know, if you have a presidency that, you know, you're trying to flip the presidency from blue to red, you know, Democrat to Republican, you'd want your house to be in the same shape. Um, now, the problem is, is obviously, um, I think that the House has been a major disappointment uh, in terms of its performance overall, 
Uh, and that's mainly because uh, the leadership has kind of always been trash in terms of McCarthy. That's why he had to go. And now with Mike Johnson, I think we have our guy, but I think we're running up against the problem that, you know, Johnson never uh, had the mentality or geared himself to be speaker and kind of gets stuck with the job. And, you know, he has point. a lot of uh, learning. He has a lot of learning and catching up to do. And, you know, we have limited time on the clock in terms of the legislative calendar. So uh, he's working with less time uh, on a bigger job. Uh, and, you know, the immediate needs to fund the government, that's still a battle that's still happening right now. You know, that's he gets he gets thrust into a really big fight. So, uh, you know, we need it would be maybe easier for him to do his job if he had more MAGA minded folks on his side. And and we should have been identifying early on uh, who can replace uh, McCarthy and such. And, you know, I think there's a guy, David Giglio, out there who's running. I don't know. Yeah, um, he's been know, out with us. He'll be yeah, and you know, I don't, you know, if 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 he's the guy, if he's the MAGA guy, then you know, we have to get behind him. Um, but you know, I think that we obviously we should have been one way or another. Some part of our infrastructure should have been identifying that a long time ago and doing that. Um, and if we don't have a response, you know, that's all. That's our failure, and that and and we need to find ways to fix that. But um, you know, McCarthy. Uh, now retiring, a bunch of retirements, you know, it's it's sad to say. I would think that it actually kind of feels like McCarthy's trying to sabotage this majority, and that's really sad, and that's really petty. And I think that, you know, and with Santos's expulsion and all that, I think he had a hand in that as well. Sure. Um, I think that, I think that um, you know, it, it's a petty way to go out. Uh, we really don't need that. And I think if the House... GOP manages to maintain control of the House through 2024, it'll likely only be because of A, actually, it'll likely, yeah, it'll likely only be because of A, Donald J. Trump and his massive win helps keep, keep the House for the GOP, and B, this migrant crisis that's so out of control it is that um you know it's an it's a, it's an it's an invasion it's an invasion of foreign nationals and it needs to be handled as such and we have major 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 problems in this country that every normal person can see and uh we should all be focused on fixing that we should all be focused on trying to throw out the guys who are responsible for this uh in come november 2024 and uh, these are the important issues that we need to focus on and not, you know, calendars with hot girls on, you know, that's that we shouldn't be spending our time on that. But that's, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's also where we are as a society, country, nation, party movement, you name it. You know, we're segueing to that right now. So it was a couple of weeks ago where there was like kind of a little bit of a raucous being set in America first. You saw some major hit pieces from mainstream media and print press outlets on, on some of Donald Trump's, you know, biggest advocates in the America first movement, especially from the meme delegation, you know, so you saw the Dilly meme team kind of come under fire. They've kind of been like Trump's online war hammer. Everybody kind of argued and bickered about that and made up fake stories for a couple of weeks and it settles down Christmas a few days. I was like, okay, maybe everybody's getting refocused. You know, we're now only 17 days away from the Iowa caucus. So Ron DeSantis could ride off into the sunset. Nikki Haley could be just about done as well. 
But no, now this conservative calendar drops, and it seems like some of the bigger influencers, maybe even some of the biggest one out there on social media, are making a lot of noise about that. Kind of detracts away from what the goals are in some point, but we have to talk about it, Vish. I know you've seen this thing kind of unfold and develop in real time. How are you looking at it? All right, well, you know, my first reaction when I saw the calendar, I was like, okay, hot girls on a calendar. This is like practically an American tradition. Um, I don't see anything wrong with it, uh, you know, in immediately. Then there's the reaction to it, you know, and you it, it, it almost, it's like the sanctimonious crowd uh, finds its way to finding one side of that. And, uh, you know, there's the crowd basically saying like, you know, hey, this is just this is not what you're making it out to be like, stop being such prudes. And obviously I kind of I, I lean on, you know, I, I my own take was that like the, the calendar didn't have enough skin. If you're trying to make a sexy girl calendar go all the way. I mean, the calendar leads off in January with Peyton Drew, and Peyton Drew is possibly, you know, one of the hottest uh, MAGA personalities, um, you know, in the entire game. So not hard for me to to want to, um, you know, take a look at that in the immediate <laughs> sense. And I've worked with Peyton, and she's actually, as a professional, uh, a great worker as well. So shout out to Peyton. But, like, you have, look, hot chicks in there. It's all good. In fact, I would have went further, and I would have had more skin in that. Now... The aftermath of that, I want to, there is something I want to address, all right? And there was two sides that sort of um, came back. There's sort of two sanctum, because, like, you know, there's the people who defended the calendar, and that's fine, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with the calendar. I'm on their side, really, anyway. Um, But there's two sort of arguments that, that, popped up out of this that were really nasty and uh, and unnecessary and the representatives of those two arguments were uh jebba ellis <laughs> and ashley and ashley st Clair. now to start with jebba jebba is sanctimonious as hell um her you know calling it softcore porn yep. and all this stuff and and like just acting like you know she has never sinned um, and, and, you know, there are other people who don't even really see this as sin and like, who are you to judge those people on that? Right. Like you should be focused on your relationship with God, not everybody else's relationship with God. You know, that is, uh, you know, that was one really nasty argument that sprung up out of that. And, you know, of course I have no love for Jenna. She's, uh, such a turncoat traitorous, you know, POS that, you know, I, I I don't really give that argument, you know, more than you know a little bit of pushback. But the actual now the Ashley St. Clair argument after the whole thing, uh, she posted a couple of videos after um, the whole drama. And look, I I love Ashley; she's a good friend. Um, and you know, I, I I'm on her side that like doing the cat. There's nothing wrong with doing the calendar. But she starts posting these bizarre like videos, yep. like basically, um, uh, you know, accusing men on the right and the like the red pill community and the manosphere guys that they're nasty and despicable and that, you know, the women that they that they're that they're criticizing would never touch you. Uh, and, and you know, you um, there are women on their side who can't stand you because 
because of your views. You know, I think that honestly, like the the tone of the videos was ridiculous. You know, she tried to sound academic and it didn't say much at all. And to be quite honest, what she ended up doing was she took on the uh, sort of image of the finger wagging, uh, like nagging sort of like HR harridan that like has come to represent the sort of gynocentric left and and that image and like unfortunately like ashley um displayed that that sort of image by doing what she did and you know i just think it was really like a really bad move and and i think that there's other ways to address you know whatever the grievances of the red pill and manosphere community whatever you want to call it you know there's different ways to do that but i think what she did was tremendously damaging in terms of how we are able to speak to this community because at the end of the day they're on our side even if you know we don't agree all the time one way or another like those are folks who are more likely to work with us than work with the the enemy so i think that you know i that they, both arguments from jebba and ashley ended up being sanctimonious and that's what i hated Right. And so that's, you know, but like the calendar itself, the calendar itself was kind of cringe only because it didn't, sh I think, because it didn't show enough skin. Agree. Um, but like the arguments that, that popped up out of that were just uh, ridiculous. And there's too much time spent on arguing all that, too much energy by too many people who we need to do more important things anyway. No, it's the truth. I mean, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, Noah. First thing I did every year when I went to the book fair at my elementary school was get my updated Cindy Crawford poster that I would hang oh. up in my room. And then I was always a subscriber to Sports Illustrated. Yes, I like the football phone, but I was always looking for that swimsuit edition every year, which usually featured my favorite at the time, Kathy Ireland, as well. I actually got my bicycle stolen one time because I went inside to get a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. That a girl. Yeah. And Vish, this goes back to the last point I want to make with you as we're getting ready to close out the show and the year here on Steak for Breakfast. It's the lack of manly men out there. You know, it's great that we've got a lot of conservative fighters in this movement, but, you know, everyone's kind of, like, just not looking like manly men did decades ago. I mean, you're obviously a big, bearded, burly guy and and are a good representation of what manly men should look like. But then when you look at some of these guys, they, they all weigh about 90 pounds soaking wet, you know, and, and, and they just want to talk down to people. We don't drink strong drinks enough anymore. We don't smoke real cigarettes enough anymore. We don't give off the image of, yes, we've got a strong, powerful message, but I also have a physical image to back that up. I think it's a huge part and no, component. No vagina hat? No, definitely no vagina hats or, or foam cowboy hats as well. I think that's equally as, as foam gay as cowboy hats. Yeah, we'll talk about that on a different show. But, really? but here's the thing, Vish, we have to bring it back. I mean, if you look at Donald Trump, even without drinking and smoking or, or, or doing any of that stuff, the man just drips manly image he rolls up in the golf cart he's he's listening to bangers you know he goes up to the concession stands and he orders like a cheeseburger off the grill he goes out and daps people walking in and out of ufc events in in the bluest of cities on the planet and he, he's identified with the american people as, as that's what a strong leader looks like how are we going to kind of bridge the gap that we're lacking in here and opens up arguments to things everything stemming from like the calendar all the way down to our politics well, look, I, uh, you know, the, the thing that the calendar does right is it tries to portray 
you know, uh, the best or the sexiest or, you know, some of the, the best looking on our side. And I think that that's a highly valuable thing. If you can beat the other side by just looking better than them, why wouldn't you want to do that? Right. And so that, you know, I, the, the, the spirit of, of what they were, what they're trying to do is right. Um, but you know, let's on the mirror side of that, well, what are men, um, kind of doing to also mirror that? Right. Like, you know, I know a lot of people, um, uh, you know, are, are now getting more into the sort of the looks maxing and the, and the, 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 you know, more lifting, you know, do, doing way more lifting and, and getting physically there. But like, there's also a spirit and mentality component to it too. And like, what does it mean to be a man and, and what, um, what is expected of you and, and how do you uh, embody that? Right. And, you know, I don't want to be totally reductionist and say, you know, being a man is about being lifting weights and, and eating meat and uh drinking whiskey and smoking cigarettes and it's like yeah sure like that is that is you know the, the those are the manly pastimes you know for a very long time um and you know it's not necessary to be a man but like what else does it mean you know it's not just about like what you do it's you know for yourself it's what what you do for other people and your responsibility and like your responsibilities and i think that um you know Obviously, taking care of your physical health and looking good uh, physically and feeling good and being able to perform physically is a huge part of being a man. I think that financially, you know, trying to maximize your bank account um, and and have the resources to take care of yourself and also take care of other people if necessary, that is Definitely, you know, hustling is a masculine trait and making money is a social activity. And, you know, making money is a form of social proof in itself. And that should be something that men seek to maximize and, and strive, you know, and strive to maximize. Uh, I think that uh, spiritually, uh, it is always, uh, it, you know, to be masculine, you know, it doesn't, I think it involves kind of, there is a stoicism aspect, but I think that there's definitely an aspect of um, uh, righteous indignation and the passion that comes from that. I think that men caring about things and, you know, not just being purely logical all the time yep. is a good thing, right? We should show that we have emotions and that we care and that we're willing to, you know, that that we do indulge our emotions and the things that we care about. Um, and that it, that re that does resonate with people and being cold and stodgy and logical all the time is not <laughs> um, is not, you know, the the thing to do. Ask Meatball De DeSantis mm. how that's going for him. Um, and, uh, you know, I think mentality wise, um, I think that uh, what we what we really what we really need is men who are like not afraid to conquer things anymore. Right. And like, I think the, the mentality, the, the conquerors mentality, listen, it, it's very possible that, you know, only so many cap people are capable of it. Um, but those who are and have the uh, at least potential should be encouraged to do that. 
And, you know, that's why it's very important that you do things like the New York Young Republican Club and all that, yep. where you can identify people who have that potential and then possibly help unlock that so that they could be part of the band of brothers. They could be part of the tribe that goes and conquers others, you know, and that's, um, and I, you know, I, I think that that, like all of that, the sort of physical aspect, the financial, the spiritual, the, the, the mental, uh, if you can align these things in a way where you are showing that you're a responsible citizen and not just taking care of yourself, but taking care of the people around you and the and the affairs of your of your society, um, there's really nothing more masculine than that. And I think that um, you know, smoking, cigarettes, uh, drinking, and all that are the happy sort of side effects of doing these things that I'm talking about. Uh, and, and once you, uh, have achieved these things, achieve these things, or at least have main, you know, kind of develop them in a way where they're maintaining and growing. Um, you know, there's no, that those are things I'd encourage that you, uh, indulge in as a man. Um, you know, it'll definitely, uh, not only add to your aesthetic, but um, it'll also sh it'll also kind of slyly uh, convey that you're an owner of your space and you're an owner of the space around you and and possibly even more than that. That's a fantastic angle right there. You talk about, you know, mental and, and physical health and well-being, creating generational wealth for you and your tribe, you know, professing the fact that you can partake in fellowship and even lead in such events. Uh, of that nature and, and then how it all kind of comes together and, and, you know, you will emulate more uh, what we would hope men can come back to. Cause right now you can't even say sir or ma'am in a place without getting yelled at. And uh, well, here you can on steak for breakfast. We'll just say, how dare you Vish, This has been awesome sitting down with you today. I can't think of any better way to finish out the year here on the show. It's been a big year for us. It's been a huge year for you. We want to have all of our listenership. Who's not already following you to, and encourage them to go do so anywhere we could jump in and find Vish Burrow, whether it's on social media websites, et cetera, where are you at? So uh, you can find me on X at Vishbura. You can find me on Truth Social at Vish. Uh, you can find me on Getter at Vishbura. Uh, and um, yeah, listen, Twitter is really or X is really my my largest, uh, my most uh, active platform right now. Um, most of my updates go through there. Um, look, just stay tuned. You know, there there will be something that 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 I will be getting involved in next, and you could pretty much be assured that it'll be uh, productive and, and uh, an opportunity for the MAGA movement, whatever I do. Um, and I would just love for you guys to be able to uh, support that, follow me. Um, and, you know, if you, you know, if there is any feedback on what you guys think I should be doing or what this audience thinks I should be doing, I'm happy to take it. I'm, I'm um, very interactive and friendly to critical feedback. So thank you. No, oh, thank you. This guy's been doing a lot for the America First movement for a very long time. Currently, he's in the trenches at the tip of the spear. Mr. Vishbur, thanks for coming on the show. Have a fantastic weekend and a very happy new year. Well, we made it, Noah. Made it, made it, made it. Great end to the year. Looking forward to 2024. Things are always changing here on the show. But you can rest assured that they're only going to be better for your listening enjoyment. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 300 other editions of the show, it's pretty simple. You 
following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Find Steak for Breakfast, hit the plus sign, hit the follow sign. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, across social medias, Twitter, get our true social and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing today. Florida Congressman Corey Mills. Miss Kingsley Wilson of the Center for Renewing America. It's the, Mrs. now. And the D.C. Young Republicans. Former New York Congressman, current absolute Chad, Mr. George Santos. And one of MAGA's mightiest warriors, the infamous Vish Burra. You guys all helped make steak great again. Guys, don't worry. I wasn't even sure if we were going to have a show on Tuesday, but we've got an absolute banger of an episode coming in. We're going to have North Carolina congressional candidate Pat Harrigan joining us. Arizona congressional candidate Abe Hamaday here as well. Great friends of the show, Brian Leib and Jim Nels will be here in addition. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and a very happy new year. I know who you are. Yeah, but I heard you were dead. I am. Wow, Snake Plissken, all right. What you doing in here with a gun, Snake? Looking for somebody. Who? The president. Come on. You really here? Somewhere. Can you find him? You gonna take him out? Mm-hmm. Take me out with you, Snake. Why? The acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind. Should old acquaintance be forgot? And the days of old Lang Syne For old Lang Syne, my dear For old Lang Syne We'll take a cup of cheer, my dear And the days of old Lang Syne